If you were to wear a mitt on your dominant hand, forcing you to complete tasks all day long with your non-dominant hand, what do you think would happen? This is the basic premise for a newer stroke therapy called CIMT, or Constraint Induced Movement Therapy. You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Richard Harvey, Associate Professor of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation, Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine, and the Medical Director of the Center for Stroke Rehabilitation at the Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago. Welcome, Dr. Harvey. Thank you. Today, we are discussing constraint-induced movement therapy for stroke. Dr. Harvey, what is constraint-induced movement therapy? Well, it's interesting. We can go back to the early 1900s to find the first use of this concept. There was a physician who took people who had had a stroke and put a restraint on their unaffected hand because he had found that if he didn't do that, they only used the one hand that was working and ignored their other hand. Not much came of that. But in the 1990s, a psychologist who was interested in learning theory wondered if you put a mitt on the unaffected hand of somebody with a stroke, could they learn how to use their affected hand again? And what did that show? Well, in his first studies, he only looked at a few patients, nine patients in total, and he only included patients who had some active movement on their right hand. And we know now that you really do have to have some movement for this to work. He actually had them do exercises for six hours a day, five days a week for two weeks. So it was pretty intensive. And they had to wear that mitt during 90% of their waking hour on their unaffected hand and try to struggle to get through the day. What he found at the end of two weeks of that kind of therapy was that these patients not only had improved strength and speed of movement of their affected hand, but that they also were using their hand more functionally in the home setting, even when the mitt was removed. So what does that mean? Well, the question is, what does this mitt have to do with anything? And what it really has to do is that when you have a stroke, if your affected hand doesn't work very well, your unaffected hand work fine, it's sort of like a reinforcement that if I try to use my affected hand, I fail, it takes long, I don't do a very good job. If I use my unaffected hand, I get the job done just fine. So over time, it just reinforces your behavior to use your unaffected hand and inhibits your behavior to use your affected hand. So these people learn not to use their hand, and we call that learned non-use. But if you get some motor strength back on that side, there's no reason why you can't regain skill. And we know from modern neurophysiology that if you take an animal model and give it a small injury to the hand region, that if you force that animal by putting a constraint on their unaffected hand to retrain in skilled use of that hand, that their brain modifies and areas of cortex that were not previously representing that hand become representative of that hand and drive the motor activity. And these animals regain skilled use of their affected hand. It works in humans, too. And how does that extrapolate into our clinical practice? The question really became, is this something that we can do with our patients? I mean, it's five or six hours of therapy a day, five days a week, for two weeks. How are we going to do that? And it's a problem because we don't have the resources to provide that kind of service to people. 
Ultimately, last year, a large study was done looking at this very therapy, giving this intense therapy for two weeks to 233 patients. It was a randomized controlled trial. It was the largest trial ever done in a rehab intervention. And it confirmed Dr. Taub's early findings that this is an effective therapy for people three to nine months after stroke. They're going to go on and do a further analysis of the data and see if this also works for people who are beyond one year after stroke. There's been a lot of debate, though, how can we do this with patients given our limited resources? So recently, there have been some small studies looking at what we call a modified constraint therapy or distributed constraint therapy. And that is to use the same principle, but instead of giving intense therapy every day for two weeks, what we do is we give the same amount of therapy, but we spread it out over maybe 10 weeks or 12 weeks. In that case, the patient can attend a therapy class maybe one or two hours two or three times a week with a therapist who directs and guides their therapy program while they wear the restraint on their unaffected hand. And then they're instructed to go home and practice using their affected hand with that restraint on for maybe five hours a day. So it's not the whole day, and so it's not as intense, and it's stretched out over a long period of time. But if you add up all the hours that they spend training, it comes out to the same amount. And the early findings suggest that this is just as effective. It just takes a little longer. If you have just joined us, you are listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and we are speaking with Dr. Richard Harvey, associate professor of physical medicine and rehabilitation, Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine, and the medical director of the Center for Stroke Rehabilitation at the Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago. We are talking about constraint-induced movement therapy for stroke. Dr. Harvey, that large study you just spoke about How well accepted was it by the medical community? Well, the EXCITE trial, which is its name, stands for Extremity Constraint Induced Therapy Evaluation, is really just starting to be talked about. Probably the community for which this is the newest to is the stroke neurologists, who are starting to think that there's some science behind stroke rehabilitation, which is kind of exciting because we've often been looked at as a field that really just did practical stuff that, you know, but didn't have any scientific basis. But it's exciting because now the neurological community and physiatrists are interested in the scientific basis behind a lot of different kinds of interventions. And I think the thing that constraint-induced therapy has really done for the field is kind of define what is it we're trying to do with somebody with a stroke. Constraint therapy has basically three things it's achieved. First, it's the constraint. And I want people to understand that the constraint is not the thing you put on the hand that works. The constraint is that the person is constrained to perform functional tasks with their affected hand. Isn't this very frustrating? Oh, it's hard. It's very hard. And you have to have a patient who's willing to put up with it. So that's number one. Number two is that they have to practice a lot. They have to practice and practice. It's called mass practice, which, again, is another thing that's difficult for the patient because it takes a lot of time. The third thing, which makes it less frustrating, is that there's a component called shaping. Shaping is a term from behavioral psychology. It has to do with that when you are practicing a task, you start with simple stuff that are, is hard, 
and challenging, but that you can achieve within a reasonable amount of time. Like what? Let's say that you want to pick up coins and put them into a slot like in a vending machine. Well, you might not start out doing that. What you might do is try to get your fingers into proper position around the coin and lift it from the table and then put it down again. And you might practice that over and over again. As you get really good at that, then you might try to pick up that coin and then turn it so that you have it pinched in your hand very well and use your shoulder muscles to lift it up. And then after you get that down after a while, then you try to put it into a slot and see if you can target your arm towards that slot. So you don't start with the whole task all at once, but you shape it over time by building upon your skills. So those are the three principles, constraint, mass practice, and shaping. And how do you plan to use this new therapy in your treatment of stroke patients? I look at the concept as being even bigger than the constraint. So we do, in our center, provide patients with constraint therapy if they meet the criteria of having some active movement in their hand. We will do the classic mitt on the hand and do that distributed or modified approach, which is a little easier for them to tolerate. But the other side of it is that we're also applying this to other therapies. So if I take those three things, the constraint, the mass practice, the shaping, there's a whole other therapy that we apply the same principles to, and this is called body weight-supported treadmill training. So for patients who do not walk very well because they have hemiplegia, we actually train them to walk by putting them on a treadmill with a harness support that's much like a parachute harness with overhead support. And what that does is it allows them to stand on a treadmill and practice walking. It has the same principle sort of as constraint therapy because if you're on a treadmill and you're hanging on there and the treadmill's on and your feet are on the treadmill, you have to walk. So you're constrained to walk. And then what you do is you kind of practice walking a lot. So you walk and walk and walk on the treadmill. And, it, and you have shaping going on because initially you may not be able to take your weak leg and advance it forward. But a therapist might help you. But over time, the therapist stops helping you and has you do more of the work. And over time, we add more weight. We reduce the amount of support that the harness gives until you're walking freely on the treadmill. So that's another example of this concept. And it's another therapy that's become quite popular in stroke rehabilitation. Now, let me be the devil's advocate, if I may. You mentioned that this type of therapy requires motivation, patience, a good attitude, and both therapist and patient who is willing to spend a lot of time and energy doing this. Is that selecting out the patients who have had a lesser degree of stroke who would do better normally even without this therapy? Well, we know from the clinical trials that, yes, in order to even qualify for some of these studies, you have to have a smaller stroke because you have to have some cognitive ability and you have to have at least some element of sensory ability. You have to have some level of coordination and balance. And so these, are, by definition, are going to be smaller strokes. But we also know from those trials that if you're in the control group and you get standard care compensatory therapy, you don't do as well. So yet, there are two things happening. One is that we are selecting for less impaired patients, but those less impaired patients are doing better because of this. For the more severe patients, we still have to fall back on classic therapy, which is making sure they're flexible, teaching them how to do compensatory techniques. But hopefully in the future, we're going to have some therapeutic interventions that awaken more neural pathways in the central nervous system 
and allow people to regain control where there is complete paralysis right now. Are most of the rehabilitation centers in the United States utilizing this new form of therapy for stroke? I would say that most have begun to incorporate it. It takes some time because it's given by therapists, and those therapists generally have to be trained in the technique. It just takes time to train all the therapists in the United States in such a technique. But it's being talked about. It's being taught a lot. There are a lot of workshops going on throughout the country. And most centers are aware that these therapeutic interventions exist and are working on getting the equipment and the training in place. I want to thank Dr. Richard Harvey, who has been our guest. We have been discussing constraint-induced movement therapy for stroke. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.